When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to Crimeland. I'm Judy J, and this week I'm talking to old friend of the podcast, my love, my darling, Sophie Shanley. We love Sophie so much. About the death of Jeff Wheatley. How are you, Sophie? I'm great. I'm brilliant. How are you? I'm very good. Now look at us being all professional and pretending that we haven't been chatting for 55 minutes. We've had the catch-ups, guys, so we're not going to bore you with the details of how everyone's getting on. Happy Halloween to all. Um, So will I get right into it, Sophie? Go on. We've discussed interior design. We've discussed Princess Diana. I don't think there's anything left to talk about. So let's let's get straight into it. Okay. The death of Jeff Wheatley. So on the 7th of April, 2010, in Stockton, California, Drew Pyatt rings 911 and says his house is on fire. So just to paint a picture. So Stockton, California, it's kind of a tough enough spot um, in California. It does have a lovely side to it, I'm sure, but it, it, it's it got a pretty high crime rate. So there, you know, there's a lot of poverty in Stockton, California. There certainly was in 2010. And there was also a bit of a drug problem, a um, little bit of gang uh, gang activity as well in the area so it was a tough enough area and Drew Pyatt was living in this house in Stockton California and it was actually his mother's house and he was essentially like subletting the two bedrooms so it was a three-bedroom property and he was living there with himself and his two housemates so he okay. makes this call and he says that his house is on fire now that is not a euphemism it's not some kind of like Californian slang his house was literally he was like no my house is literally on fire it's not like Hugh Grant ringing up to get a blowjob or anything it's oh you know I always think Hugh Grant and the blowjobs but no in this instance (laughs) it's it's when you said rough part of California I was like Hugh Grant blowjob 
I know. And you know, well, I think was that Hollywood Boulevard? Well, I don't know the exact address, Julie, but you but know. But apparently, I've never been to LA, so LA, get in touch. California, get in touch. I'm sure <laughs> I will have a message because I do sometimes come out with sweeping statements like it's a tough enough area, and then somebody emails me, DMs me to say it's actually a really nice place. Look, I don't have a fucking clue about Stockton, <laughs> California. I'm just basing this. I read one Wikipedia entry on it, and I'm just making my own assertion here. And um, but no, so his house was literally on fire. That's what we're dealing with. So Drew goes back to the house. Now, obviously not in two thousand, but stands in front of the house as you would if your house is on fire. Um, because he's had to it's twenty ten. I'm not sure what the deal with the phone was, but he actually called nine one one from a pay phone. So I don't know was the phone dead, presume it was. I don't know. But anyway, so he comes back and first responders arrive and immediately notice something suspicious. So the door looks kicked in as if somebody has forced their way into the home. Okay. So the firemen ventilate the roof, which is apparently a thing. Um, in a bid to clear the fire what, and in the they, smoke. Do they take it off? I think, I don't, I'm not sure how you ventilate the roof. I I, I watched a YouTube video on this and they seem to be reaching up <laughs> and opening something. Of course so, they don't take it off. The house isn't made of like Lego. Like, I don't know why I said do they take the roof off, but. Well, it is it's it is a strange turn of phrase. I I will admit that because I was unsure as well. Um, but it, it did appear in the thing that maybe they were reaching for a skylight or something because it was the kind of layout whereby it was like open plan. So they opened the front door and they were just in the living room. Right. Okay. So they're trying to get ventilation going, and in the smoke, they actually trip over a dead male body oh. in the middle of the living room. Not ideal. So, not ideal at all so responding officers question drew and he tells them that he's living with a guy called jeff wheatley and so they immediately assume the body is him now let me tell you about jeff wheatley so jeff wheatley was born in 1961 in san jose california and he had two sisters he was known to be a bit of a wild child as a youngster and a serious ladies man oh and he, yes bit of a ladies man bit of a rogue a good looking guy as well i have to say well, very good looking guy you, who who would he look like if he was a celebrity Oh, that is a really good question. He's kind of your quintessential, uh, like he is your quintessential American movie star, really. Very chiselled, very okay. chiselled in his younger days. I'm going to I'm gonna send you a picture from when he's in the Coast Guard. So it's Jeff Wheatley. Oh, he was a Coast Guard. And, oh, yeah, he was in the Coast Guard as well. So he definitely was. Like, I could totally, I totally would have gone there with the old Jeff Wheatley, I have to say. All right. Like, I, you know, he definitely was, like, a good-looking guy. Now, obviously, at this stage, it's 2010, so he's a bit older. And he did get into the biking and stuff as he, as he was older. So he's kind of got the long hair and the goatee going on. But in his younger days, now, definitely would have been my type. Okay. Absolutely. And also, another reason that Jeff would have been my type um, was that he did kind of have this habit of meeting women and marrying them. Which again would have been my thing. So he oh, been married. Oh, that's a lovely trait to have. Yeah, it's definitely one that I kind of veer towards. So he had been married a few times, but none of these relationships had worked out. But like his sisters would say, just really nice guy. Um, you know, like the relationships didn't work out, but he really wanted to start a family. He loved kids, and that was part of the reason that he did get married 
to these women quickly because he kind of wanted that family unit and just seemed to be like a really nice guy very likable uh did he he have kids julie he doesn't have kids no so he did have stepkids when he was married to these various people but at this point in 2010 he had moved to Stockton because another relationship hadn't worked out and he didn't have any of his own kids. Right. Okay. Getcha. So he he did move around quite a lot, moved from state to state. He lived in Alaska, obviously lived in California, Oregon. Um, He lived in Texas as well. And he had joined the Coast Guard. He also worked in a restaurant. He went to nursing school to train as a nurse. He tried truck driving, but nothing really stuck. So he kind of moved from jobs to job um, quite a bit. And in 2010, when he came to Stockton, his acquaintance, Drew Payette, offers him a room in his house. So after a couple of weeks, this lady called Valerie Nestler moves in. So Valerie is 25 years old. She's moving in with two lads. And Valerie grew up in kind of a really tough area of Stockton. So she was very street smart. And her because her local area was kind of notorious for crime and gang activity, you know, she had a tough growing up. Okay. So in 2005, tragedy struck Valerie because her father, really sad, her father actually committed suicide. Oh, no. And this was, de- yeah, this was devastating for Valerie. So this is five years previous now um, to this house fire. So it was devastating for Valerie because she'd been a real daddy's girl. She was very close with her dad. And a year later in 2006, Valerie learned she was pregnant. Oh. And she was, yeah. And she was left to actually raise her daughter, Chloe, on her own when her partner left her. So she was a single parent, but she was so, so happy with her daughter. She was really, really content okay. with Chloe. And uh, she felt like Chloe had given her purpose and was delighted to be a parent. But just two months later, Chloe died of <gasps> sudden infant death syndrome. No. So the, like the, like Valerie had it really, really tough. So within two years, her dad committed suicide and she lost her only child. So very, very hard. She's only like, what, 22 or something at this stage. She's very young. Oh, yeah. Oh, she's 20. Yeah, she's very young. So her dad died when she was 19 and then she had Chloe a year later when she was 20. Jesus, okay. So really tough. Yeah, very hard. So this tragedy was the one that absolutely broke her completely. So after losing Chloe... She turned to drugs and kind of went on a bit of a downward spiral. Um, so she she was on a bit of a downward spiral for a time period. But then she got some help from friends and family and tried to move forward and kind of lead a better life. So she was trying to leave that scene behind her. Was she doing a bit of Lavinia Brown business? I do you know what? I don't know. I, I she might have been she might have been dabbling a bit in that for sure. But yeah. she did when she moved into this house, like, you know, she was working, she seemed to kind of have her shit together, she got on with the guys in the house. So she was kind of looking at this as maybe an opportunity to turn her new leaf. Was she off the drugs? Well, this is it, so we'll get to that. So she she was definitely doing better. Like she was much more functional and especially, you know, having, you know, gotten this place to live. There was never an issue with rent or bills or anything like that. You know, she was very on top of things. Okay. So she was good. She was definitely very functional and she got on really well with Drew and Jeff. So the three 
you know, it was a nice arrangement and it was working out well. So everyone was very happy. It sounds like a bit of a madcap sitcom. You know, the, the girl and the boys. You I'll know. be there for you. Bit of that. Yeah, yeah bit, of that. Bit, of that. <laughs> bit of that. Yeah. And like, they, they just seem to get on really well as mates. And there seemed to be lovely rapport in the house. But then... Just a couple of months later. So Valerie, you know, she's been living in the house for a few months. This is when this fire happens. And the firemen get this call and they get led to the scene of what is obviously, you know, some kind of homicide. Like something has happened here. So there was a lot of smoke damage. But it was very clear that blood had been smeared all over the walls. So straight away, obviously, the investigators know that this has been an extremely violent death like there's so, blood everywhere so they think right that that poor old uh what's his name jeff that poor old jeff has met a bloody end before he's been stabbed or something that person has you know smeared his blood all over the walls and then they've tried to cover it up with an old burn well that's that's what they're thinking exactly that like he was killed and that you're one step ahead Sophie span on that they try to start a fire to dispose of the body to get rid of the evidence etc so there appear there appeared to be a trail of blood as if the body had been dragged from say the kitchen to the kitchen area to the living room area and they explored further and they found that a shotgun had been fired in the kitchen. Mm. And it was obvious that Jeff had also, the poor man, been stabbed many times. Oh, Jeff. Jeff, Jeff, Jeff. Poor Jeff. Yes. Yeah, so really, really, really violent. Oh, so the, the blood trail suggested that someone had tried to clean up in the bathroom. And it also pointed to the fact that the perpetrator themselves had been injured as there was a lot of other blood. So they were thinking that the perpetrator must have cut themselves. Okay. Okay. So towards the kitchen as well, there was a very strange discovery. They found a treasure trove for the prosecution and the police. The police found a bin bag containing, wait for it, a shotgun. So in other words, the murder weapon was in the bin bag. Two shells, and there were also two kitchen knives with blood on them. This is very sloppy sloppy work, isn't it? I mean, if you're going to kill someone, at least take the bin bag with you, with all the evidence. Have your wits about you somewhat. Do you know? I mean, really bad. That's actually almost disrespectful to the person you're after bumping off now. You're being so slapdash. Like at least, yeah, exactly that. Like, you know, there's no point coming this far and leaving the bag with the shotgun in the kitchen. Like, come on. Such a lack of effort. It's very, very lazy. Well, you would think you'd give them some kind of challenge here. Like something to work. Like even the police were like, oh, okay. Yeah. Search is over, guys. It was in the kitchen. Like (laughs) they were, I mean, come on. So also a bag of clothing had been left in the house. So it kind of gave the impression to the police that the killer had gotten changed and planned to take it all, but just panicked and left it behind. Meanwhile, the medical examiner was trying to identify poor Jeff by ringing his sister and getting her to describe his tattoo, which sure enough proved to be a match for the one found on the body of the deceased. So uh, uh, up to that point, they weren't 100% sure they were just presuming it was Jeff. And then it materialized that it was actually Jeff. So obviously his sisters were devastated. So he wasn't charred to a crisp. He still had 
Sorry, no, yes. too much. Yeah, but no. The, the skin, like, he was still identifiable enough. Exactly. Right. But the body was still intact. So, exactly that. That the, it, the body had not burned. So, okay. they could discern that much from his body. Yeah, we're, exactly we're not. We're that. not going into dental record territory. No. So, the dental... Well, I'm sure they, they might have double-checked it with the dental mm. records. But when they checked the tattoos and asked her to describe the tattoos, they were like, it's your brother. We have him. Um, yeah, and she was devastated because Jeff had been the only boy in the family and he grew up in a house full of girls and they just really doted on Jeff. So she oh. obviously goes out saying they were deva. And the the retina examiner, this is really, really gruesome. So he discerned horrifically that Jeff had actually been, wait for it, burned alive. Oh, no. Yes, Sophie. This so- was his actual cause of death. So you're telling me that he managed to withstand all the stabbings and the gunshot. Yeah. And then? The actual cause of death, yeah, was being burned alive. Well, that's just pure torture, isn't it? Well, it was. He had been tortured. So that's why the police now, I mean, it goes without saying they knew it was a homicide, but like the man had been tortured. And, you know, the gunshot would have killed him. Uh, the stab wounds probably would have killed him as well, but it was actually the burning that was oh. the official cause of death, which is it just, I mean, can you imagine how upsetting that is for any family to hear that? Oh my God, no, you'd nearly, really nearly not want to hear that. You'd nearly want to hear it was the, the gun. I know, I think, I think everyone would prefer to hear that it was a gun because honestly, I just, I can't, it's very hard to think of a worse way to die. Being cooked. Oh, stop it. So, and I know my DMs are now going to be full of ways that, you know, give me examples of worse ways to die. But it, <laughs> it's pretty it's bad. Really, it's pretty bad. It's definitely up there. So they obviously copped that this must have been personal. Such was the violence of this murder. Now, Meanwhile, that's, yes. That's what I was thinking, Julie, because this yeah. is obviously, you know, if it's premeditated or even if not, it's wildly angry and nasty and like frenzied. violent and frenzied. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm gagging to know. What well, you see, this it. is it that you you would you would think personal, and it was certainly. I I mean, I say frenzy, but I guess if it's because there was an element of torture involved, it also went on for a time period. So you again points to you know some personal element here, and meanwhile, of course, there was no sign. Of Valerie, so they were like there are three people living in this house. We know what happened to one poor occupant. The other occupant is here, Drew. Where is Valerie? So they begin to worry that she's also gotten herself into some kind of trouble, and they try to locate her as quickly as possible. And while they're trying to locate Valerie, they're interviewing Drew, who says that he left the house and he came home to find the house on fire. So Drew's story is fairly straightforward. I left, I came back, the house is on fire. He then says, bizarrely though, that before he left the house, he'd gotten a call from Valerie telling him to get out of the house. Well, now, I had my suspicions that it was Valerie. But their interest is definitely piqued when he mentions Valerie telling him to get Mm. out of the house. So they also look at Jeff himself and his lifestyle for potential clues as to what happened. So Jeff, sadly, had become involved in drugs himself. Oh, shit. What kind of drugs, Julie? 
So it kind of explained why he did a lot of moving around and stuff. But his his family said that the addiction was originally prescription drugs. And then they described, um, they didn't actually specify what kind of drug, but they did say there was a massive um, opiate problem in Stockton at this time. So it could well have been opiates. But they did say then that he turned from prescription drugs, which he obtained illegally, to street drugs. And yeah, so the poor man, he kind of, you know, he did have a lot of issues with that. And his family did say, look, this all stemmed from an injury he got when he was in the Coast Guard. And it just kind of spiraled out of control. So that's years he was on this then. Yeah, I mean, it, it does. I mean, I think he kind of went in and out, you know, he did, not that he dipped in and out of sobriety, but he went through spells where he was off drugs and he was clean and sober. And then, you know, he he would kind of fall back on them again. So uh, it was a recurring problem for him. Okay. And the police investigated whether this could have led to his death, but didn't happen on any leads there at all. In case it might have been like a disgruntled dealer or something, that kind of... yeah. So that was one theory, but they, they looked at it and they were like, no, like it just doesn't seem to be adding up. But later that evening, police found Valerie and brought her to the station for questioning. So when she learned of Jeff's death, she was really emotional and said she knew nothing about it and seemed to be very upset when she heard he was dead. Oh, come on, crocodile tears. No, now come on, let's give Valerie a chance here. So I don't trust her as far as I throw her. To be honest, Valerie, <laughs> Do you that Amy Winehouse song. <laughs> Loved that song. That's a great song. Great song. Love Amy Winehouse. R.I.P. So when told about the phone call, though, Valerie immediately changed her story and said that she'd been in the house when two men wait first barged in, and she made a run first. Well, no, no, Valerie, no. But smell. A massive, big, smelly rat. I don't yeah, think there's, this. There's a, there's a pungent smell of rodent right now, um, Valerie. But this is interesting, though. So the detectives were like, okay, what? And then they asked her for a description. And she said, well, I recognized one of the guys. His name is AJ. Real name was um, Alan Perryman. AJ, he was a friendly acquaintance of Valerie's, someone she would kind of hang out with and drink with often. So detectives found AJ, AJ very quickly and they brought him in for questioning. Running his car wedge through the system, they see that he had been stopped for a traffic violation the night before. So they examine his car physically and learn that his car has been cleaned out of carpets and bleached out, Sophie. <gasps> Well, she was very stupid to say it was him then, wasn't she? But she just said it straight away. They were like, okay, do you know this person who barged in your house? Um, You know, did you get a good look at him before you ran off? And he's like, she's like, oh, his name is AJ. Here's his number. But like, are you telling me it really was AJ or that she was? Well, this is this is what she said. So th- they brought him in. And they also said, look, we need to ru- we need to speak to the cop who stopped him the night before. So they tracked down the police officer who had stopped AJ the night before for a traffic violation and quizzed him on it. So it turns out that the traffic stop had been done. And I'm not quite sure what the traffic stop was for, whether it was for like running a light or okay. speeding or, you know, they often pull, you see the cops pull people over if like they have a broken taillight, as they call them in the States or he might you know, something pimp. like that. 
uh, oh, it could have easily been that. So they put they pulled him over, and basically this passenger had ran from the car. And <sighs> the training, I would always like, I would assume you'd run after the person who runs from the car. But apparently, in that instance, you're supposed to stay with the car. That like the passenger running can often be like a decoy, so that the cop doesn't search the car. Right. Okay. okay. I, I don't know. I don't know. Does this happen in Ireland? I'm sure it does, but apparently this is a thing that people do. It sounds a bit silly, um, though, doesn't it? Well, I mean, I would probably, if I saw someone run, my immediate reaction would be to run after them. What would yeah. you do? I think that I would. I'd get on my walkie-talkie, Julie, and I would. <laughs> said I'd run after them I'm like Julie when was the last time you ran like the late 90s I would would say dust off my cop badge I would get out my walkie talkie and I would send for some bloody back yeah and I'd make sure that I had someone going in the direction of where this bloody idiot nasty person had gone running towards well, I yeah, and you know what? I need I need to be honest with myself because I'd probably get on the walkie-talkie as well if I'm honest, Sophie. I but, mean, but come I, on! I, I wish that I had the. I wish that I that I was as brave as you were, and that I just hopped out of the car <laughs> and ran. Do you know, no, it just says so much about us, me and my ego, that I'm painting myself in a hypothetical situation as running after a man in the dead of night. Like, there's no way that it happened. Whereas I you're admire just it. Straight up, you're like, I'd, I'd call in, I'd call for backup. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, I'm the, just I'm... that sense. <laughs> yeah. But you see, so... you see, we'd be fine then if we were like, uh, what's that famous cop duo? Oh, Cagney and Lacey. Yeah, because I'd let you go and scarp her off and I'd just stay in the car and get the back See, So That's why you always need a partner on the beach. A partner in crime. No, a partner, partner in crime. Oh, better. Do you know what? I think we've just written a TV show. <laughs> I think I think we've just written the first episode. I kind of love it. Let's let's work further on this after this, okay? I think, yeah. We'll just chat for another 55 minutes after after this podcast. Hi, I'm Kate. And I'm Porig, And we host the Behavioural Vaccine Podcast. We're behavioural scientists who met through improv comedy. And so each week, we bring the two things together to explore how behavioural science can be applied, but in a fun way. There's a little bit of research. There's a good bit of messing. And there's loads of practical tips on everything from how to save money to how to maintain your friendships. Think about this like a behavioural vaccine to get you through winter 2020. Go on, sure, give us a listen. So, um, the cop then speaks to the driver. So he's like, he knows the deal. He's like, you don't run after the guy who runs, you stay with the car. So he's like, okay, uh, the driver is AJ and he notes that sitting in the passenger seat was none other than... Valerie. Valerie. Valerie's in the passenger seat. So the the police officer demands an ID on the guy that ran. So he's like, what's his name? And they gave him a fake name. The police also found a meth pipe in the vehicle. So now police know that, yeah. Valerie's back to her old tricks. 
So the cop anyway demanded the ID. They gave him the fake name. They found the meth pipe. And they know now that Valerie is lying. They bring her again for questioning. And she admits there's more to the story. Well, duh. <laughs> and says she has actually been, she had actually, wait for it, been taken hostage by these guys. Oh. So, she, yeah, she says, AJ is this guy I know. He's a very bad guy. He took me hostage. I was scared. So I made up the story. And the guy in the back who ran his name is Robert Turner. So like Valerie, Robert, let me tell you about Robert. Robert had a lot of tragedy in his life. He grew up in the same area as Valerie. So both of them had come up hard and were street smart. I bet they came up hard, all the drugs they did. Oh, do you know what? Boom, very good. That's (laughs) That's a nice little zinger. I love the zingers. That is a right zinger. Thanks. So they definitely did. And Robert had also experienced a lot of loss. So his dad died when Robert was just five. And then his elder brother, who was kind of like a father figure and really looked out for them after the dad died, he died. He was shot when he was just 16. Do you know what? So a lot no. of sadness. You were right. This is a horrible area if all this stuff is so prevalent. You know, guns it's, everywhere. Uh, it's, it, do you know what it is? It's just, it, and it could have changed, stopped and get in touch. But it seems like for this period, there was a drug problem. And as we know, where there are drug problems, unfortunately, murder and crime doth follow. Yeah. So there was just, there was just a lot of, not a poverty, basically, you know. And, um, um can I also just get uh, Robert's name there? Oh, yes. Robert Turner. And again, I'm going to say Robert looks exactly as you would expect him to. Bless him. Um, so Valerie tells detectives that Robert was one of the men who attacked Jeff. And they quickly embark on a manhunt for Robert. Detectives obviously have still not ruled Valerie out as a suspect. Finally, police get a call to say that Robert has wafered turned up at Stockton Police Station and he's actually turned himself in. He says that he had called his family who, could they, they were the ones who actually convinced him to turn himself in and cooperate with the police. So meanwhile, AJ's in custody and he invokes the right to remain silent. So he just pleads the fifth on all questions. But he doesn't really have to speak to incriminate himself because on his hand... He has a very deep cut in his finger, which police know is something that the killer would have had. Yes. Okay. He was directly involved. He did it. Yeah. So, oh, sorry. It was actually Robert who invokes the right to main silence. So this is Robert we're talking about, not AJ. So Robert is the one who has the deep cut in his finger and he's pleading the fifth, but police are like, well, where did you get that huge gash in your hand? He obviously scarpered because he was like, shit, I've got the big cut on my hand. Do you know what? That could have been why he scarpered. And also just yeah, because he did possible. it. Just because he did it. <laughs> but I mean, that could that could have been very true. That could have definitely been a possibility. So within two months, they have blood DNA confirming that the knife has Robert's blood on, on it. And also they found a latex glove in Valerie's room. They tested that as well. And both her DNA is on it and Jeff Wheatley's. So in other words they're kind of screwed here. Like they have DNA forensic evidence linking them to this crime. Okay. Also, Julie, I'm after getting a blast of Valerie here and my God, my God. What are you thinking? I'm thinking 
you wouldn't want her moving in with you. Well, <laughs> but if the but to be fair, if the room had been up and up and daft for a while, and you just got no emails, and then Valerie came along, would you still be like no? If Valerie was prepared to pay the going rate that I was giving her, and I'd already bumped it up a little bit, then maybe yeah. Yeah, if it's like a room that's worth six fifty, but you're like we're saying eight hundred, yeah. and Valerie's like that's fine. And if it's like a, a single bed in like a box room, ugh, fuck it. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. And then if if you were like, oh, and you're going to give me your Netflix password. Okay, fine. Yeah, you're in. No, but she is, she looks like somebody you wouldn't mess with. I don't know if I'd want her in my kitchen all the time. Well, I tell or you like, what, you certainly wouldn't be saying to her, who finished the milk? You just be like, I'll just get more milk. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fine, Val. Like, Valerie's there with a the milk mustache. You're like, you know what? Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Or you I should buy be like, a shirt. Oh, would you mind getting a glass? You'd be like, oh, just take the whole bottle. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. You'd be, you, you definitely, you wouldn't go there with yeah. Valerie. No, yeah. definitely not. So, Valerie, anyway. So, look, the forensics is there. And Valerie claims, presented with the, the forensics, detectives bring her in, they present the, the DNA evidence, and they hope this is going to be her last interview. So they confront her with this, and they also slide a picture of Jeff over to Valerie. So in the picture, it shows how they found his body. So in other words, like this poor man who had suffered so much, she proceeds to cry and wail, gets really emotional, and then she switches it off immediately just as quick. Oh. So she admits that she had participated in stab Jeff, but she said that she only stabbed him a couple of times and that she had done it only because she was so scared of AJ and Robert. So in other words, that she had been told that unless she participated in the murder, that they were going to murder her. And that's the only reason she did this. She only stabbed him a couple of times. I know. I mean, it's not really a sentence you ever want to say out loud, is it? Like, that is honestly like when somebody, like, cheats on someone and they go, it was only for a second. It was only... I know. Very good analogy. Do you know, it's just like, but this is obviously much worse, you know, than than, yeah. a, than a kiss in like, you know, coppers at 4am or whatever. This is, you know, a stab. I mean, slightly. A few yeah, stabs. It is, it is. But you're right. It's meaningless. The only. It's like, no, it's done. A stab's like, a stab. Valerie. A stab is a stab. A kiss is a kiss. <laughs> Just have the conversation. Do you know is what, what I mean? we're saying? If you're not happy, just say it. You don't have to stab someone. You don't have to kiss them. Yeah, and just also if you, if you do it, don't belittle it with like that. Yeah, I mean, just remove the word only. So yeah. she's saying, I only stabbed him a couple of times, and P.S. I did it because I was basically intimidated into doing it. It was like kill or be killed situation. Mm. So the big question was motive. What had happened and what would have led these guys to have killed Jeff in such a personal and brutal way? So it turns out that Valerie and Robert Turner had somehow decided that Jeff had been responsible for Robert's brother, Moose's death. So Robert's brother was called Moose. Let's just get that out of the way as well. Right, Moose. So, so, so Moose yes. Turner, is it? 
Moose Turner put it, I mean, it was a nickname, but we're not quite sure how he got the name Moose, but his name was Moose. So Jeff apparently had bragged to Valerie about killing a man, and both she and Robert had theorised that he had killed his brother based on the very scant details Jeff had given Valerie regarding the circumstances and when he had supposedly killed this random man. I mean, so in other words, this was this was just shit talk. And they were sitting around the living room. Jeff says, oh, sure, I just, I once killed someone. And Valerie kind of quizzes him a bit. And she goes back to Robert. And Robert says, oh, my God, I think he killed my brother. Like, this is just pure nonsense. They're all f- fucked out of their mind on drugs. And oh, it's, it's a lot of drugs, isn't it? It's yeah. a lot of drugs. So you- and it's, you know, like, we've all had mad conversations at 6am in the morning with people. But you don't take it as gospel and go and, you know, tell, like, make... Well, this is it. Yeah. This also, is it. It sounds to me like poor old Jeff is in the throes of addiction and he also might want the ride of Valerie. So he might be showing off a little bit. Oh, very true. Maybe he's trying to impress her. Yeah, being like, oh, I'm a big guy. That like, sounds about right. We, yeah, we very, we very true. We say he's got a Porsche. We don't know how big his dick is or anything. We don't know how he can, you know, impress her. So he's just thinking like, oh, she'd like... She'd like if I said I murdered someone. And, and, it, and it does sound like she was fond of the bad guys. Like, she's certainly yeah. hanging out with them. So, yeah. You, do you know what? I think you've hit the nail on the head, Sophie. Yeah. Okay. So, they, they they went to... So, basically, these two, Valerie and Robert, have the chat. Robert is like, oh, my God, I think he killed my brother. As you say, this is just another example of don't do drugs, kids. Because mm. there's just... When you were asking me earlier on, was she off the drugs? You see, this is it, that she clearly wasn't. You know, there was just a lot of drugs really, happening. I think uh, one look at her police photo would indicate know, that she is not off I the know. drugs. <laughs> so, I mean, honestly, that woman needs some kind of help in that photo. It's just such a bad pic. Although you should see my passport photo from this week, so I'm no one to talk. Um, it's pretty up there. Uh, so they reached out these two Valerie and Robert to AJ who just seems to be this kind of guy who jumps to the chance to be violent for no discernible reason and he agreed to assist them in the crime Valerie is arrested for murder and the prosecutor has to look at the murder of Robert's brother in order to explore the motive they quickly discovered that Jeff Wheatley wasn't even in the state when Moose Turner was killed so there's no possible way he could have been the one responsible for Robert's brother's death. Well, surprise, surprise. So in other words, the man, not that it would have been okay for them to kill him if he had done this, but there's no way he did this. So they killed him for no reason. They plucked that out of their arse. Like they made that out of nowhere. Well, you wonder, I actually think, I might disagree. I think that Robert did think he had killed his brother. I think that would explain just the level of violence involved. Oh no, but I mean like they they added like two and two and they got like oh, 180. Sorry, yes. Do you know what I mean? Oh like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Sorry. That was my fault. Yeah, was, you're right. Yeah, no, exactly that. There was nothing to indicate that this had happened. It was like... Oh, yeah, you're spot on. She obviously padded it out and, like, elaborated and made up a load of shite and went back to him and told him 
yeah, she probably went back and said, oh, I think he said his name was Goose or something. Yeah. And oh, where did your brother Robert die? Like, oh, that bar off Route 66 that Telman Louise went to. Yeah, that's true. Well, let's face it. Basically, she was just shit-stirring. Let's call a spade a yeah. spade. I mean, she was 100% shit-stirring. She loved the drama. Loved the drama. Well, I mean, we think shit-stirring, but she is saying that, you know, she is saying that ultimately she was threatened and it was a kill or kill, to be killed situation. So uh, the, the prosecutors obviously paint this really gruesome picture of Jeff being attacked in his own kitchen where he was initially shot by a shotgun. They then tell the jury that Jeff wasn't dead right away. So that's when Robert and Valerie and AJ went for the knives and proceeded to stab Jeff repeatedly, starting to torture him to get him to confess to killing Robert's brother. They then poured gas on him and set him alight. Like, this is just so... I mean, so bad. So bad. And you'd wonder what poor old Jeff was doing when he answered the door, or when they came in, like... He was in the kitchen! He could have been, like, just sitting there watching Loose Women, or, like, making a cup of tea, or, you know, it could have been just... He's just panning out, not knowing. In his own home, hanging out in the kitchen and these three, you know, essentially barge in and he's shot in his own kitchen. I mean, it's just horrendous. Poor guy. So the prosecutors also presented the evidence that Jeff had not killed Moose and that Valerie had essentially just been stirring the pot. Mm -hmm. Now, Valerie, meanwhile, her defense is that she had been under duress and forced into it by these guys. And at this point, a lot of people are kind of thinking, yeah, you know what, like AJ and Robert, they're, they're, they're tough guys. Like we can see, we can see how that could happen. However, in the middle of the trial, a jailer intercepts a note from Robert to Valerie in oh. which he says, if you give me 10,000, I'll tell the jury I did everything. He also says in the letter that uh, Valerie is like his little sister and he would happily take the fall for her. Oh, yeah. So obviously this blows her defense completely out of the water because if Robert is writing letters like this to Valerie, there is no way she is scared of him. No, there's no way. And also how stupid is he? I know, like passing a note in jail. It's so stupid. And then also like his bargain. Where would she get 10,000 by the way? Like how is he going to get 10 grand out of her? And also like... What use is 10 grand to you if you're in bloody jail? Yeah, no, now, I mean, one conspiracy theorist that I did happen upon on Reddit. Now, I know I should not quote Reddit as sources because I did reference Reddit before and somebody got in touch and was like, they're not a reputable source. I know, but it's just fun to read. Yeah, it's just so another point of view. Yeah, I mean, but it does, it does kind of get you thinking. But one hmm. conspiracy theorist said, oh, maybe she was under duress. And that he wrote this note to basically screw her, which I think, I don't know, I'm just basing this on what I know about Robert. It seems a bit sophisticated. I think he doesn't have the brain power to muster up something like that. I I think it was just that he was a bit silly and was like, listen, give me money and I'll say I did everything. Because at that point, he knew he was going down for first degree murder. Like, 
your blood's there, the weapon's there, there's premeditation, like there's no way you're getting out of jail ever. He wasn't even clever enough to have been driving the car, you know. Oh my God, very good point. Yeah, they were like, we'll need a driver and it's AJ, not you, Robert. He was probably in a big, like, booster seat in the back. He's so thick. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, I mean, if AJ was like, I'm not trusting you with my car. Yeah. Sorry, but no. Um, So yeah, look, that was one theory on Reddit, but that's probably why you shouldn't quote Reddit because I don't agree with it. But I just want to throw it out there in the interest of balance. So after just 40 minutes of deliberations on July 25th, 2011, Robert Turner was shot her, found guilty of murder and sentenced to life without parole. So he's never, ever, ever getting out. And Valerie was sentenced to 26 years. Do you, so, think, do you think they sell Liga in jail over there for him? Oh, my God. Do you know what it's for? Do you know what, though? I it's not so long ago I had a Liga. It's not a bad biscuit. Um, oh, I don't know. It's a bit. It's a bit like it's. It doesn't really have much of a. They're a bit like what would you call them? Soft. <laughs> but it's look. It's no toffee pop. But no. if I had to have an Liga, I'd eat it. It's, it's, it's not quite like the sophistication of a Viscount or a Fox. Oh well, cream. I mean. But then if I count is just too fancy for me, I'm like, just give me the toffee pop. Well, and I do love be a done with pop. And so Valerie was sentenced to 26 years. And like, I mean, you see, the thing is, is that Valerie went to prison for this when she was 26. So the latest she will be out, she will be 52, which I think is reasonably young. Well, AJ was sentenced at a later stage to 15 years to life. So he's actually going to be eligible for parole in, wait for it, 2022. Jesus Christ! Yeah, after 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 eight years, he's going to be eligible for parole. And actually, we didn't hear too much about how many, you know, stabs he gave. He was quite quiet no, about the whole thing. Yeah, and I, do you know what? I was trying to find more information on him. And as far as I could gather, so he... He played the lesser role. He was essentially like the getaway driver as such, but he was there for the murder. Like they were all present, but it was Valerie and Robert who did the killing, essentially. And he kind AJ, of, kept, of kept sketch a bit. Probably kept sketch and was the driver. But yeah. I mean, obviously equally horrendous because he was there for the whole thing. I mean, horrendous, yeah. horrific crime. And that is the death of Jeff Wheatley. Well, that was that was spooky and befitting the season, wasn't it? Oh, or, ha- of course. Happy Halloween, Sophie. Happy, sure, it's Halloween. Happy Halloween tomorrow. I sh- you know what? I should have, I actually should have had a more Halloween-y one. I might, I might subvert it and have a Halloween-y one for next week. Oh, I'd love that. Like, I, Would I, you I'd, like a Halloween-y one? I'd love a Halloween-y one. Like oh, real... I'm so sorry I didn't have one today. Oh, it's fine. No, it is fine. <laughs> I love that one. Not, I know it sounds bad to say you love a murder, but... Um, I know. But that sure, one, that's why we're all here. I enjoyed it. It was... Um, Did you enjoy it? I really enjoyed it. There was so much going on there. And I loved, um, now that I've got the good internet connection and I can actually just pop up a picture on my phone, it makes it all so much more um, vivid in the head. And you know, I know I've said I'm going to do this before, but first of all, can, can we just give a shout out for your new Wi-Fi? Because oh. it's so much better. <laughs> Selfie, honestly, I was starting to sweat with the Wi-Fi connection. This is just I know. so amazing. I know. And your my Wi-Fi... Here. 
has taken it as a huge compliment and it's the 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 little bars they've just swollen they're so um oh I have that effect thank you (laughs) I do have that effect but also I need to send you the photos of the people beforehand because it does really help when you have the visual okay Okay, do so it. Let's maybe, do that for next week. Maybe, yeah, send them, but I won't look until, you know. Until like, the moment. It'd be yeah. like a surprise. Because I don't, oh. don't want to know. Well, you see, that's it. That sometimes I think if you get a picture and somebody is in like orange, oh, it kind of gives it away that something has happened. They've gone down. I'll have gone down the rabbit hole then and you won't be able to tell me fresh if you do that. Yeah, it's it's. Do you know what? Whilst I'm doing it, I can send you the pic. I can oh, WhatsApp the perfect. pictures to you. Perfect. Might be better. Perfect, because then I don't even have to open another tab. Oh my god, I'm making it so boring talking about technicalities. Uh, you're never boring, Sophie. We absolutely love you. Thank you so much for getting involved. It's so nice to chat to you again. Thank you. I had a great time. I had an absolute ball uh, hearing we about love horrible you, Sophie. Murder. I will have a chat to you next week. Yes. Okay, I'm looking Thanks, forward Sophie. to it. Happy Halloween. Talk to you soon. Bye. Happy Halloween. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. 